Now, I, I don't know about you, but my children have been asking this question. Uh, what am I going to get for Christmas? And they have no, sh- like, no tenacity, no reservation in telling us what they want for Christmas. How many of you started hearing from your children what they wanted for Christmas right, right around July, you know? Like, just to start compounding stuff. Now, how many of you know that as you get older, it's odd to be on the other side of that question? Like, when you're a kid, you know exactly what you want. When you're a dad and you've got four kids and you and your spouse are kind of scrambling to make sure that everything is nailed down for Christmas, it's the last thing on your mind. I remember getting to a point in my childhood where I would ask my father, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I think my dad had a hard enough time to like deciding what he was going to wear because they had full-time jobs, six kids, or a lot of moving pieces. And there was like an entire, I think, decade-long run where he had the same answer every year. Dad, what do you want for Christmas? He's like, oh, just, just give me some socks. And it took me a while to figure out why my dad kept saying that. And I think there are two reasons. One, uh, my dad could buy whatever he needed, whatever he wanted to. Like, he held the purse strings in our family. Second of all, my father understood that whatever we bought him for Christmas was coming out of his wallet anyway. So the, the smaller the price tag on that item could be, the better that was going to work out for everybody. The question that I want to ask this morning is this. What does God want from us this Christmas? What does God desire from us? And is it within our capacity to give? Let me pray for us that God would open our hearts and our minds as we come to the text. Father God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that hope has come in a manger, that all of the majesty of heaven has been encapsulated in a package the size of a child to remind every single one of us that you are near. You're not detached. You're not unplugged. You're not far away. You are here with us. You come to breathe life to us. You want us to know that you are for us. Give us ears to hear it and hearts to receive it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we've gone through this series, An Imperfect Christmas, we've been walking through kind of the Jesus origin story. The genealogy, as it is described in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse, in this, in this particular day, we're going to look at verse 116. It says this, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, we don't have a lot of information about Mary, but some of what we do, found, do have is discovered in Luke chapter 1, which reads as follows. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
Then the angel left her. Let's pause for a moment. Can you imagine being a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl in a small Galilean blue-collar village and have an angel just kind of ambush you in your bedroom before your school bus comes that given day? Like, all, all, what, what kind of questions are rolling through her mind on the receiving end of this conversation? First of all, a strange man appears in her proximity, which was, was going to be odd in the first place, and then says, you are highly favored by God. Now, I would be curious. So I can imagine she's saying, I, I have, in fact, the text says she is perplexed by this greeting. So Mary's first question is, what is going on? And they says, don't be afraid, you have found favor with God. I think another fair question is she would, she would say, why, why me? Why me over anybody else? And then the angel says, you're going to give birth to the son of the most high. Now that word most high is a reference that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 32 that can only refer to God. So you can hear Mary saying, I've never, this concept is completely alien to me. This has never been done before. And then he says this, he goes, and he will have the throne of his father, David. And Mary would know enough Jewish history to know that the throne of David has been vacant for a thousand years. And then he says, and this kingdom will never end. Again, Mary's not a geopolitical scholar, but she knows enough about what is happening in her day and age that the Romans are on the top of the power pyramid. And every time the Jews have risen up to revolt and overthrown them, they have been crushed without mercy. So none of what she is hearing is making any sense. Gabriel's message includes layers of impossibility. So all we know about Mary is that she's having this conversation with an angel. We only have a few other kind of assorted details from her life, but each one is loaded with significance. One fact that we know about Mary is that she is engaged to Joseph. And we know that Joseph comes from the bloodline of David, which is a royal bloodline. We also know that she is related to a woman named Elizabeth. And we learn elsewhere in Luke that Elizabeth is related to Aaron, who was the first priest to the people of Israel. He was chosen to represent the people before God. So she's kind of engaged to a guy who's related to a king. And she's related to a woman who's a descendant of a priest. And then there's this other kind of theory of why why it was significant for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus only refers to himself in conjunction with one other prophet. Other people associate him with other prophets. But when Jesus says, hey, I'm only going to give you one hint about what my ultimate destiny is going to be like, and the prophet that he refers to is the prophet of Jonah. He goes, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. And some scholars believe that Jonah was actually born, lived, and buried in a town that is adjacent to Nazareth where Jesus would have grown up. So you may have heard of a theologian guy by the name of John Calvin who said that the role of the Messiah was that he would be a prophet, he would be a priest, and a king. Is it any accident that Jesus would be born in a land associated with a prophet to a mother associated with a priest and an earthly father who's associated with a king? Are any of these details random and unconnected? No. In fact, I may have mislabeled this entire talk. I called it Mary an unlikely vessel. But when you do the math, everything on paper points to the fact that nobody other than Mary should have been chosen for this unique role. That said, what does God do to equip Mary to be the mother of the Messiah? 
practically nothing. I remember when my wife Kelly and I were expecting our first daughter, Grace, we went to a birthing class and they told us all these things that we should do to expect on the day that Kelly went into labor. And we had our checklist and we had our birthing bag and we had all of our arrangements all nailed down and settled. What does that birthing class not tell you? They don't tell you what to do when you get home with that baby. Like all of that information is helpful for like a full 72 hour run. But I remember when we were clicking that car seat into the back of our, 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 our little four door sedan, I remember driving home going, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm absolutely petrified. So Mary goes, this is, this is great. I'm honored. I'm excited to be a part of this adventure. Please send me the Messiah raising manual because this is all entirely overwhelming. What I love about this is that even though this makes sense on paper, there's nothing that equips her for this unique role. And it is a reminder to every single one of us that God uses unlikely people for incredible work. God chooses ordinary, flawed, overlooked people to participate in his redeeming purposes in the world. And you heard Craig talk about Tamar and Rahab, and I mentioned Ruth. And if you were here last, uh, two weeks ago, you heard about Bathsheba, and now we're hearing about it again with Mary. And after the angel overwhelms Mary with the weight of this task, how does she, overwe- uh, how does she respond? All she says is this. She goes, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Another version, a historic version some of us grew up with, had a different phrase for that. She says, let it be to me according to your word. Last week, many of you responded to Hosanna Poetry's call that you would receive a new name. And it's been our prayer for you that over these last seven or eight days, you've been reflecting on that name, that you've been walking in that name, that you have been embracing that new name. But Mary adds a role to her name. And the role that Mary is embracing, in addition to her given name, is the Lord's servant. So whatever, whatever your name is, whatever your new name is, I want to challenge you to add this qualifier. Whoever I am, this is what I do. I am a servant of the king in every way and in every moment. Mary is the poster child for surrender. She's a perfect snapshot of submission to God's design. The way that I like to think of that word submission is that when I submit to God, I, when, submission is when I submit my mission to God. I submit my agenda to God. I give my desires and my hopes and my fears to God and my talents and my abilities and my resources and my days to God and say, Lord, I hold these before you with open hands. If there's any part of who I am or any opportunity that's on my plate today that you can use for your purposes, will you do that? And will you give me the grace to release whatever it was that I had on on my calendar or my five-year plan or my financial agenda so that I can be an active participant in what you're doing in the world? Mary's obedience changes the course of human history. Christmas is the celebration of Mary's cooperation with God. Let's be honest, though. Mary had no idea what her yes would mean. She didn't know that her third trimester would include an 80-mile donkey ride. She didn't know that she would be forfeiting a private birthing suite. She didn't know that she was going to have to flee her homeland and live in Egypt because somebody was trying to kill her infant son. And maybe Mary actually had to wrestle with the survivor's guilt of having her family escape the massacre of Bethlehem that took the lives of so many other young boys. 
God doesn't go into every detail with Mary. He asks her to trust him in every trial for the big picture. Are are you going through the grind right now? Do you find yourself in a stable when you'd really hoped you'd be in a palace? Does God have you standing next to a manger when you were hoping for something more? Maybe you said yes to God, but it hasn't been smooth sailing and you're starting to second guess your choice. Maybe you said yes to God and in the meantime, there's been an illness or a financial setback or a wayward child or a personal betrayal. Maybe like Mary, you never thought that agreeing to God's plant meant that you'd be having a baby in a barn. But if Mary was dearly loved and highly favored and she went through those challenges, it's reasonable to expect that we, who are also dearly loved and highly favored, will go through them too. But the cooperation with God precedes something amazing. I believe that cooperation comes before celebration. And as the result of Mary's cooperation with God, the angels and the shepherds and the wise men were able to celebrate the arrival of this child. Another famous Christmas verse, I'm not going to go into it in great detail, is uh, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born. Because Mary agrees with God, the entire world can say a child has been given to us. Now, if you ever had a chance to go to the town of Nazareth, and uh, just a little shameless sidebar plug here, I'm actually going to be leading a men's holy land trip in May with our executive pastor, Mike McKay. So guys, if you've never had a chance to sign up for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity like this, please come with me to Nazareth. And when you go, we'll see this place called the Church of the Annunciation, and it's built over what tradition claims is the ruins of Mary's home. So they believe that this church, this basilica, is constructed over the spot where Mary would have heard from this angel. And what I love about that space is there's modern art that lines the walls of this sacred space. And it has artists from dozens of different countries who have depicted the mother, Mary, and the child Jesus in their own native style and in their own colors and costumes and tones. So there's a baby Jesus who looks like he was born in a Japanese tradition and one from Lithuania and one from Canada and one from the United States and some from South America. It's a reminder that what? That when the child came, he wasn't just for a particular group of people in a particular space in human history. He was born to all of us. It's a gift to all of us for all of us to receive. And what I love about the Mary story is that her let it be comes before the unto us. Let it be comes before unto us. I'm going to ask you to consider this question. Is it possible that your yes to God could result in some amazing future moment whose scope you cannot fully appreciate yet? That your decision to cooperate with God in these unique sets of crossroads and circumstances in your life could bless people that you might not ever meet this side of eternity because you said yes. What I love about this story is that God doesn't need Mary for his mission, but God invites her into it. 
There are theologians who would agree with me, but if we believe in free will and human agency, you could argue that Mary would say, you know what, this whole thing is trippy. I don't know that I want to give birth to the Son of God. I have a couple of other women in my biology class that I could recommend. Why don't you try them? Mary doesn't do that. Mary says, God, if you have chosen me, I'm all in. But Mary can't do this alone. Mary needs another very critical character to be on board. His name is Joseph. And so God decides to speak to him as well. This is what we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they could come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he was a righteous man, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he wasn't going to publicly shame her, he was just going to walk away. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Verse 24, Joseph did what the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. In order for the whole plan to work, Mary has to trust God and Joseph has to trust God too. Mary has a let it be that comes before the unto us and Joseph has his own let it be that comes before the unto us. And Joseph's let it be was not without its challenges. Why is the baby born in a manger? Because there's no room in the, there's no room in the, there's no room in the inn. Well, here's my question. Why are Mary and Joseph at the inn at all? Bethlehem is Joseph's ancestral home. It's not that big a town. Surely Joseph has extended family who live in Bethlehem. Doesn't Joseph have a cousin with the futon that Mary can crash on? But if Joseph has living relatives in Bethlehem for reasons that are not known to us, not a single one will take them in. Let it be is not easy, but it always comes before unto us. Here are the lessons that I've learned in reading through those parallel encounters, these angelic visitations to both Mary and Joseph, when God comes to you, God speaks your name. God speaks your name. God's representative spoke directly to Mary and to Joseph, and he calls them by name. He doesn't say, hey, town of Nazareth, hey, people of Bethlehem, hey, nation of Israel. He goes, Joseph, son of David. Mary, one who is highly favored. Many of us 
have gotten to this point where we've heard God speak to us a new name. That's worth celebrating. But there are some of us who are earlier on in that journey, we haven't even heard God speak our first name. And for many of you, I believe that God wants to give you a gift this Christmas, and that's this, the ability to hear God speak to you by name. To remind you that you're not alone, that you're not forgotten, that you're not a stranger. God spoke to Joseph and Mary by name so that they could know that they had worth and value to him and so that they could know where they fit into his redemptive plan. God speaks your name. God speaks courage. God tells both of them not to be afraid. Not now, not later, not ever. And then God speaks direction to both Mary and Joseph. He gives crystal clear marching orders. To Mary, he goes, carry this child and name him Jesus. To Joseph, he says, take Mary home and name the boy Jesus. I think some of us try to take what God is speaking to us and we make it really complicated. Some of us are waiting for God to give us a screenplay that outlines the next 20 years of our lives. How many of you have known that God likes to speak to us one solitary step at a time? God says, take this step. And then when you take that one, I'll reveal the next step. And if you're all like me, you're like, God, I would like to know where the steps end. And God in his grace says, you wouldn't be able to appreciate that even if I told you. So take this one next step. And when we do, our let it be comes before and unto us. So the question that I have is, what do you need to hear this Christmas? What do you need to hear God speak to you? Do you need to hear God speak to you, your name? God does this at the beginning of the story to this Mary, and he does it at the end of the story to a different Mary. Craig reminded us that Christmas is the beginning of the Jesus narrative, and Easter is the middle of the Jesus narrative. And we're all participating in the rest of the Jesus narrative. But what I love about the Easter story is that Jesus does it again. To the first Mary who was kind of trying to figure out where she fit in her world, there was another Mary, a follower of Jesus, who is devastated when he was killed on a Roman cross. And she was wandering aimlessly through the garden through which she would have been buried. And a resurrected Jesus that she cannot yet recognize comes up to her and says this, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Look at that for a moment. Jesus speaks, not, uh, he doesn't say, hey, it's me, I'm the Lord, I've risen from the dead, it's all going to be good. He doesn't, he doesn't give a long explanation. All he says is her name. And he says it with such weight and such gravity and such authority and such compassion that in that moment, she understands everything she's supposed to know when she falls to her knees. If you've never had a moment where you've heard him call you by name, that's going to be my prayer for you this Christmas. Maybe you've already heard that. Maybe you need to hear something else. Maybe instead of hearing your name, you need to hear a promise. Maybe you need to hear this promise from Deuteronomy chapter 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, whoever them is in your life in this season. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And what I've learned about moments of terror in my life is that God doesn't promise to eliminate every threat, but he promises to face those threats with me. 
And not every circumstance does God evaporate all of my fears, but God gives me a heightened sense of awareness that God is with me in the midst of those fears. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling beaten down, if you're struggling this holiday season, maybe the promise that God wants you to hear is the same one that he gave to Joseph, the same one he gave to Mary, and that's this, fear not. Some of us need to hear a name. Some of us need to hear a promise. Finally, some of us need to hear a call. The call that Joseph got was, take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us is in a crossroads in some form in our lives. We're trying to figure out what is required of us in order for our marriage to thrive. We're trying to figure out how to care for a child who's in crisis. We're trying to figure out what the next step is at work. We're trying to figure out one of a thousand different things on any given moment. And I believe that God has wisdom for every single one of those. And God can see our lives with a perspective that we lack. And some of us are so frustrated trying to wrestle down the details or so hurt trying to kind of beat down the demons from our past that we don't have eyes to see what God has for us just a single next step on the horizon. I've been reading this little tiny book by a woman who is a missionary in India for years. It's called God Guides. And she's got this crazy mind-blowing concept. She says this. She goes, when I don't know what to do, I quiet myself before God and I say, God, what would you have me do? And then she goes, and then I don't say anything until God tells me what to do. And then I do what God tells me to do and things get clear. Now, it's obnoxious in its simplicity, but it's bold in its audacity. Because she's intense enough to believe that when she asks God clear questions, God will give her specific answers. It sounds something like, sounds something akin to what Jesus said, ask and you will receive. I think sometimes I don't do a lot of asking because I'm afraid of what God might say. And as a result, I just kind of drowned in the chaos of uncertainty. But my guess is that all of us need to hear one of those three messages this season. We either need to hear our name or we need to hear our promise or we need to hear our call. And then the only question that remains after that is, what do we need to say when God speaks to us? What's God God longing for from you and I? Well, maybe all God needs is the same thing that Mary gave him, which is a posture that says this. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let it be to me according to your word. And so that's just, that's what I want you to do. I just want you to take these next moments as the team comes out. I'm going to close this in prayer and then the team's going to lead us in time of song. But I want you to just take these next few moments to quiet your heart and your mind and say, God, I believe that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And I believe that you want to speak to me in this moment. You want to speak my name. You want to speak a promise. You want to speak a clear call. And I pray that you would give me ears to receive and a heart to trust you for it. One great thinker says this. He goes, God gives where he finds open hands. So just take these next few moments to quiet your heart. And in your own way, tell God the same thing that Mary did. Lord, whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you need, I am your servant. Let it be according to your wisdom and according to your word. God, we love you and we trust you. And God, I have to confess that there are moments in my own life this week where I just, instead of saying, let it be, what, 
what I said, maybe even unconsciously, was, Lord, leave me alone. I've got this. I have a thing that I want to do. I have a plan for this moment or for this relationship or for this objective. Lord, sometimes I believe that I create just unnecessary weight and pressure and anxiety in my own life because I'm not quiet enough to listen. And then, Lord, instead of rattling off a list of greedy demands to you, the creator of the universe, I want to have the humble posture of a Galilean teenage girl whose primary understanding of herself was a servant. Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you want from me, you have. Whatever you speak into existence, Lord, let it be, let it be. Let it be. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We've got the Holy Family and we've got shepherds and we've got wise men, all of whom at different points in the story said yes, yes, and again, yes. My prayer for us, not just at Christmas, but for this whole next season of our lives, our posture would be one of an anticipatory yes. God, whatever you ask, the answer is yes. Whatever you lead me into, yes. Whatever you require of me, whatever whatever hardships are on the horizon to get me from where I am to where your purposes are fulfilled in and through my life, the answer is yes, yes, and again, yes. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to see you uh, tonight at our service at 5 p.m. This is going to be a very beautiful, simple, powerful Christmas Eve service. And also, if you need prayer, you're welcome to meet our prayer team on either edge of the stage here or in the Connections Room. Otherwise, thank you so much. God bless. Have a safe and amazing Christmas, and we'll see you again soon.